Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and welcome to the Write Your Screenplay podcast. As you know, this podcast, we don't look at movies in terms of whether they're good or bad, two thumbs up or two thumbs down. Instead, we look at movies of all kinds, movies that succeed, movies that fail, great movies, bad movies, old movies, new movies, and we try to look at them in a way of what can we learn from these movies as screenwriters. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. So let's just set aside for for a moment the question of whether Fifty Shades of Grey is a good movie. And let's just set aside whether you enjoyed Fifty Shades of Grey or not. Uh, Or let's set aside even if you found Fifty Shades of Grey sexy or not, or a reliable adaptation or not. Because instead what I want to do is I want to look at Fifty Shades of Grey and think about what can we learn as screenwriters from this movie, uh, no matter what our experience of it was in the theater. Let's first just start off by talking about the things that that work in Fifty Shades of Grey. From my perspective, one of the things that works is Christian Grey's very clear and strong desire. And and it's one of those things that that goes to show you, you know, oftentimes, especially when we're writing seduction scenes, we we get stuck in the normal. Uh, We get stuck in the getting to know you, how you doing, where you from. And one of the things you probably noticed when watching Fifty Shades of Grey or reading the script is Christian, from the very beginning, always pushes things a little too far. If you were mine, you wouldn't sit down for a week, is one of the early things he says. He has these kind of combative, shocking lines that are a kind of strong statement of who he is. Now, whether you've considered the lines good or bad, whether you consider, whether some of the lines are a little overwrought or a little cheesy, I know when I was in the theater, um, there were certainly a couple of laughs at times that the movie wasn't consciously trying to be funny. But um, setting that aside... The concept of allowing a character to introduce themselves from their purest point, allowing your character to come out and make a statement about their view of the world from the very beginning. You know, one of the first things uh, that he says to her is, people have said that I have no heart. And she asks him why uh, they say that. And he says, because they know me well. These may not be the best executed lines of dialogue, but these are concepts that we can take with us. This is a man with a very clear, strong desire. His desire is to get Anastasia Steele into his BDSM room. That is his dream, that is his desire, and every single thing he does is an attempt to get that. Now, he doesn't start off the movie wanting that. What he starts off the movie wanting is actually a little unclear. It's not exactly clear why this guy who has no heart is taking a meeting with a college newspaper student. It's also not clear because her roommate doesn't seem that sick. (laughs) It's not totally clear why Anastasia's in the room at all. But it's pretty shocking that Christian Grey, the multi-billionaire recluse who never likes to be featured in the paper, who's never been seen with a woman, it seems unusual that he would invite her into his office unless he wanted something from her. Uh, And it's not exactly clear what he wants, because most of the time, at the beginning of the interview, it seems like his desire is to get her out of his office, to make this as quick as possible. 
there is certainly some play at giving her a hard time about the standard questions she asks. So maybe he wants to be entertained but or impressed, but it leaves a lot to the imagination of what exactly he wants uh, in that scene. Whereas Anastasia's character is in a much better position. She also has a really clear want. She wants to do well by her friend. And that's a good want to go into the scene with. She is, there's some major obstacles. She hasn't even read the questions. She's not prepared in any way. She knows very little about him, but she's trying to do right by her friend. And this is a fun little, potentially a fun little scene. If Christian Grey really wants something, this can be a very fun little scene. Because you have a truly incompetent, smart but incompetent woman who honestly is a little irresponsible, who's shown up. She hasn't even read her friend's questions, but she's trying to do a good job for her friend because she loves her friend. And, and there's something else to that which is interesting or potentially interesting, which they didn't really explore. There are a couple of moments where you start to see that her roommate, her friend, is also kind of exploiting her, that her roommate and her friend is also kind of taking advantage of her. And you, you start to see this pattern of a woman who maybe doesn't fully have control of herself, who maybe needs to go on this journey in a way because she doesn't yet know how to stand up for herself. Because even her, while the BDSM uh, and manipulations of Christian Grey may be much, much bigger than anything that her, her lovely little roommate would ever do, there is definitely the sense that this is a girl who gets manipulated, who gets pushed into situations she doesn't want to be in by women, by men, by maybe by everybody. Now, this doesn't really go very far. That that relationship with her roommate isn't really developed. And if there is a pattern of her being taken advantage of in that way, we don't really get to see it in the movie. It's, it's a missed opportunity, I think, but it's something to think about for ourselves is when you're creating a character and you start to send them on a journey like this and you start to see a pattern where you're like, oh, wow, Huh, that, that relationship with the roommate is a little more complicated than I expected it to be. When you're creating something like that, you want to take advantage of that. You want to say, okay, hey, look, I've spent a lot of time building this character of this roommate. That relationship in my movie that needs to arc, that needs to go on a journey. And with just a couple of more beats, you can see how that would have actually given more reason and more shape and more thematic depth to what this character is actually going through. And what's cool is that it's already in the movie. It's just not developed. It's just in the rough draft state. So this is something you can take from this film for yourself, which is if you have a character and you start to see an interesting relationship developing, if you've got a major, I call them hot relationships, if you have a hot relationship in your movie, like her relationship with her roommate, and it doesn't go anywhere, it just kind of drops off, then you know you have an opportunity to drive further. All of the structure of your movie is going to grow out of the things that came before. Uh, finding where you're going in a movie is not about figuring out the best plot turns. It's about looking at what's already there, what's already interesting, what's already unexpected, and bringing it back in different ways, repeating the pattern or changing the pattern in order to track the growth and change of your character. So there's actually a really nice 
relationship there with her and her roommate, a friend who she loves, who is also manipulative and takes advantage of her and puts her into situations that are uncomfortable. We know that her friend is also a person who asks inappropriate questions like, are you gay? Who maybe pushes things a little too far. We don't get to see her do it though. Uh, and by allowing her to do it and by really tracking that relationship, we would give shape not only to her relationship with her roommate, but also to her journey with Christian and a feeling that this wasn't just a bad experience that happened to her or a, uh, an unfortunate man to fall in love with, but in fact that this was a journey that forced her to confront something that was broken in her, that forced her to look at her inability to stand up for herself. And this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I think you probably can guess where the movie goes. By the very end, at the moment that she finally stands up to him and walks out, when she finally says no and sets a limit, having developed that relationship with her best friend, that limit would not just be about him. It would be about her. We would fully understand that this was actually the hardest thing that this woman has ever done. And suddenly, rather than just becoming an exploitative softcore movie, this would have become a story about a problem that many, many people have. Because whether we've ever been in a BDSM relationship or not, whether we've ever met a, our version of a Christian Grey or not, we have all had the experience of caring about someone who wanted power over you. And we have all had the experience of failing ourselves through our inability to set limits, through our desire to please. And had that one little relationship with her roommate been fully exploited, then Fifty Shades of Grey could actually have become a really powerful feminist statement. It could have been a, become a statement about what does it mean to take charge of your life in a society that often robs women of their power. It could have become a, a social statement, even while it delivered on all the hot sex promises that drew audiences to it in the first place. So that's the first lesson. The first lesson is look at the cool stuff you've got early and make sure it's mattering later. And if it's not mattering later, you're either missing an opportunity, which actually may be the key to what your movie is really about, or you need to cut it because it's not really serving your movie. So anyway, we start this movie and you can see if we just amplify a couple of things that you actually have a pretty nice setup. You've got a woman who is coming completely unprepared into what should be the biggest meeting of her uh, best friend's life. And then you have this guy who is in way too much of a position of power to be taking this meeting. And the good thing about Anastasia is Anastasia is no dummy. Anastasia is smart. Even though she is a little immature, even though she is a little irresponsible to have shown up unprepared, even though she has a really hard time standing up for herself and gets pushed into situations that are uncomfortable, the truth is Anastasia is a smart cookie. And it would be really interesting to watch Christian Grey actually go for whatever it is, whatever twisted thing it is. I wonder how many of these meetings has he had with young, eager college students. Is this the first one? And if so, why? 
or does he do this all the time? Is this something that he's been pushed into? And if so, does he want to punish her for being pushed into it by his do-gooder assistant or whatever whatever force of nature forced him to do this? Or is there something he wants? Is there something he's manipulating for? And what's the moment that Anastasia recognizes that? And how does that help build the tension between them? How does she call him on his bluff in a way that maybe even her friend could not have? What we see instead, honestly, is a bit of a forced scene. For reasons that are a little beyond total explanation, this incredibly powerful businessman who basically, you know, there are many, many targets for him. (laughs) For reasons that are not completely clear, has a meeting with a college student for a college newspaper and kind of just really wants her out of his office, which raises the question of why is she in his office, since I would guess he's a hard person to get a meeting with. But then she's kind of sassy, I guess. So he starts to push her to ask some questions that are really her questions. And maybe she impresses him a little bit, I guess, with her intelligence. But we're really missing the moment where he gets interested. And so this is the next lesson, is your characters have to earn the structure of your movie. And if your character's not earning it, you don't get to do it just because it happens to be whatever you outlined in your plot. You've got to find the moment where she earns his attention, where she earns his respect. Because remember, Christian Grey's journey is actually quite interesting. Despite the kind of lackluster execution, the actual journey, what we're actually seeing is the first time that Christian Grey actually tries to fall in love, which really actually in a way more interesting than watching Anastasia, who already has a hard time setting limits, slowly slide past one limit after another limit after another limit after another limit. What's actually far more interesting is watching Christian Grey who only fucks, who doesn't make love, who has done this a million times and been cut off from every single woman, who uses them and loses them again and again. What's really interesting is watching this be the first time that Christian Grey actually tries to fall in love. Watching this be the first time that he starts to back down on some of his demands on some of his power, on some of his rules. That's actually some of the most interesting structure in the movie. But the problem is Anastasia doesn't earn it. There's no reason why she should be the girl that he does this for. And the reason she doesn't earn it stems back to that very first scene. Because his wants aren't clear enough and her wants aren't clear enough in the scene. And because they're not going for their wants with everything they've got, we lose the kind of firepower of the moment that starts to break through something in him that makes him realize this is not just another woman that he wants. This is a woman that he needs. That he can't just replace her with any other pretty face like... Obviously, he's done many times in the past that 
this must be the woman. It's not enough for her just to be sassy and smart. You need to find the moment as a writer, the moment where she breaks through his routine and starts him on a tra trajectory of change. Movies like this are called two-handers. They're called two-handers because primarily they're just the story of two characters. And when you've got just two characters, it's important that they're both going to go on a huge journey and a huge arc. And we have a really interesting theme here about the limits that we set for ourselves. And they have limits on opposite sides. We have a man who is ruled by limits, whose whole life is limits, and whose incredibly strong limitations, the kind of cage he's built for himself. Um, the guy with the most power is in a way in the biggest cage. And then she is the opposite of him. She is a woman who cannot set limits, who even her sweet roommate is able to run all over her, who doesn't have a strong enough sense of who she is and what is okay and what is not to say, no, that's not me. And that's a really interesting dynamic but you got to let the characters earn it. Earning it is about amplifying the wants to make the scene harder to write, not easier. The way that first, they call them meet cute, the way that first meet cute happens was easy to write. And what I mean by that is she gets to act sassy and charming and he gets to act strong and powerful and of course they're the leads of the movie so they're gonna like each other but that's not how a great writer writes the scene the way a great writer writes the scene is makes it hard by amplifying the divergent wants of these two characters let's talk about another element of 50 shades of gray through the entire movie we are drum rolling that bdsm room he calls it the playroom and the shots of the playroom are pretty intense. I mean, he has like 50 different kinds of whips. He's got crazy canes. He's got stuff that I don't even know how it works, but it looks terrifying. And we are waiting the whole movie for her to get into that playroom. And we're a little scared for her about what's going to happen in that playroom. We get to see a taste of it. We get to see her kind of tickled with a whip. And we get to see her hands tied with a tie. And again, spoiler alert, at the very end, we get to see her beaten with a belt. But to my mind, this is a total failure to deliver on that drum roll. You cannot build a movie up to the point where you're going to put a woman in a torture chamber with 5,000 crazy torture devices and then hit her with a belt. Those devices need to be used because the truth is I feel like this movie's halfway over. I feel like this movie can't end because they haven't made use of the room. In fact, this is nothing that you couldn't do in your own bedroom, all of the things that they do together. You would not need his incredible playroom to play the game that he's playing. There's a saying in film and in theater, if you bring a gun on stage, it's got to go off. If you bring a gun on screen, it's got to go off. Well, that playroom is a gun, and it's got to go off. Does that mean it's impossible that the movie could end with him beating her with a belt? No. But if you're not going to make that playroom pay off, 
if you're going to introduce a gun and not have it go off, then it's not going off needs to be the coolest thing in the movie. It's not going off needs to be cooler than it's going off would have been. And this is the next thing that's missing from Fifty Shades of Grey. You've got the playroom. The playroom needs to be used. And there are a million ways the playroom could be used. It could be her in the playroom. It could be him in the playroom. It could be her turning things around on him in the playroom. There are a million things you can do with the playroom, but you cannot bring a gun on stage and not let it go off. So looking at your own scripts, see if you have any playrooms in your script that you're not getting the most out of. And you can see this relates to the same concept we talked about before, which is the answers to where your script needs to go are not out there in the universe. They're in the pages you've already written. So if you've introduced a playroom and it hasn't been used to its full extent, if you haven't squeezed every last bit of juice out of the stuff you've already got, then you know you've got a script that can be pushed further. The next element that I want to talk about is the culminating scene um, right before he beats her with the belt. Um, there's a scene that we probably would be described as the climax, that big confrontation, because it's when he drops the big line. It's hard for me to even say that line on a podcast with a straight face, but I'm 50 shades of fucked up is intended to be like the big reveal, the big line, that big moment of vulnerability. Does it work? Not at all, because the truth is we already know he's 50 shades of fucked up. There's a way to make it work if we could let him insist through the whole movie and create a pattern that, that this is normal, this is normal, this is normal, this is normal, I'm normal, there's nothing wrong with me, and then I'm 50 shades of fucked up. Yes, maybe that could work. The way the line is dropped in right now, it does not really work. Um, and there were groans in the audience when I heard it. It's not the line that's the problem, even though it is a little cheesy. It's that we already know he's Fifty Shades of Fucked Up. So it doesn't feel like a revelation. But the other problem is actually on the way to that line. The character spends the whole scene asking him why. Anastasia spends the whole scene asking him why. And you can actually see that this is actually the structure that the writers tried to build, which is about why. Why is he like this? Why is he like this? Why is he like this? And they try to lay in all kinds of exposition about why he's like this. Oh, he's like this because, um, because of what happened to him as a boy. He's like this because of the woman who introduced him to BDSM when he was only 15 years old. He's like this because all these different reasons. And the truth is they all ring hollow. There's a great moment in Scream, which is a completely different movie, but also a movie that feeds a genre beast. You can see Scream is, is feeding the horror genre beast, just as this one is, is feeding the sex genre beast. There's a great moment at the very end when the killers are revealed, and she asks, why did you do this? And he basically says, who cares why? Did Psycho have a motive? And that's the truth. Our audiences don't really care why. Why is not a structure for a movie. Now, in Scream, it should be mentioned, we actually do know why. Those motives actually are built into the story, but they're not explained. The structure of the movie is not to explain the motive. 
the structure of the movie is to explore the journey of the character. In other words, the structure of the movie is not to figure out what made the character who they are today. The structure of the movie is to follow a character who is who they are today and goes on a journey that changes them forever. And along the way, we may end up learning or thinking or surmising what brought them there. But the structure of a movie is never exposition. The structure of a movie is never information. The structure of a movie is never about why. Because when you ask the question why, and this is a little trick from hypnosis, when you ask the question why, you stimulate the rational part of your brain. You don't stimulate the part of your brain that really runs the ship. You stimulate the part of your brain that explains things in rational ways. The problem is that people are not rational. Most of our actions are emotional and not rational. So when you stimulate the rational side of your brain, you get characters who make sense but don't feel real. So yes, Gray's psychology makes sense, but he doesn't feel real. And the more you try to explain it, the more hollow the explanation is going to feel. The more you try to explain it, the more hollow the explanation is going to feel. There's that culminating scene where she's basically saying, why? And he's basically saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And that's the truth. Just like us, maybe after 20 years of therapy, Christian Grey will find out all the reasons why. But that's not the structure of his movie. So if you want your characters to get to good answers, don't have them ask why. And if you want to get to good answers, don't ask why. Because the answer you get is going to be disappointing. And not only is it going to be disappointing, it's not going to be true. Ask your partner why they showed up late for your date. And they'll give you a reason that they totally believe. And then when you notice that, hold on, there's an inconsistency there and you call them on it, they'll give you another reason that they totally believe. Because this is the rational part of our brain that's trying to figure out why. But the truth of the matter is, half the things we do, we have no idea why we did them. We just know that we did. And sometimes these are wonderful, brilliant, beautiful decisions, and sometimes these are complicated, messed up, destructive decisions. But we often don't know why. Instead of asking why, and instead of having your characters ask why, have your characters ask these kinds of questions. What? What's it about? What does it give you? What about that makes you happy? What makes this necessary? How? How did this start? How did this come about? How did they get here? Where? Where were you? Where are they? Where do they feel the pain in their body? Where do they feel the need in their soul? Where do they feel that pull in their heart? Where does he feel that need to torture her, to hurt her? Where does he feel it? How does he know it's necessary? What does it feel like? When does he feel it? Does he feel it all the time? Does he only feel it sometimes? Do you see how these questions can generate or could have generated a monologue for Christian Grey that would have exposed something really powerful about himself, something much more complicated and much more truthful than I'm 50 shades of fucked up, something much more interesting than I don't know why, 
or a simple rational explanation of because I was abused when I was a child. Now I'm, this is not how the world works. There are people who are abused when they're children who never go on to become predators and there are others who do. And so this is what we need to be looking at. When you're building your movie, don't ask why. Why is the question that brings you to the rational brain? What, where, when, how? These are the questions that are going to stimulate your creativity and bring you to the real truth of your characters. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to study screenwriting with me in New York City, online, or on our international retreats, you can check out my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. We have classes in screenwriting, in meditative writing. We have classes in the craft of screenwriting. We have a six-month one-on-one mentorship program called ProTrack for emerging professionals. So check us out, writeyourscreenplay.com, or give us a call and we can put together a program that is right for you. 